Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Today we're going to be talking about the Ebola crisis, and uh, it, it really is just one of the most depressing subjects that, that that that's in the headlines today of many depressing subjects. But as we all know, the Ebola crisis is is still not under control, and doesn't look like it will be under control for quite some time. And it's been this tragedy in part because the rest of the world, outside of West Africa, um, has largely abandoned uh, Li- Liberia, Guinea, and uh, and Sierra Leone uh, up until recently, though. Uh, the foreign powers, most for the most part, just left, and, and they've been left to fend for themselves. So what ended up happening is there, in this vacuum, the Chinese kind of started stepping up with tens of millions of dollars of aid, very, very high-profile media coverage, and at the same time deploying uh, dozens, if not hundreds, of medical personnel to the effective regions. And Chinese media then really went to town. And it was something that I think was a very positive story and offered the Chinese uh, a very, you know, a good contrast to the Western powers that have had the traditional relationship in places like Liberia for a long time and, and weren't there. But Koba, something went kind of a little bit awry for the Chinese recently when the United States came out and President Obama announced that he was going to deploy 3,000 troops, uh, $175 million, and that just dwarfed what the Chinese were doing. Uh, they have 174 people and only $37 million. And then all this coverage started to come out saying, you know what, the Chinese, they're actually not doing that much after all compared to what the United States is doing. What was your reaction? Yes, I, I felt a little sorry for China in a weird way. <laughs> um, although I do take the point that a lot of these journalists have been making, you know, kind of that if if you take how many Chinese people are actually, you know, working and doing business in these countries, China should probably be doing more, you know, and, and related to that, you know, the the... the the you know kind of large amount of or the large number of of migrants who move back and forth between West Africa and China you know it, it is a Chinese problem Ebola is a Chinese problem um, but you know kind of on on the other I felt a little bad for them because they were really as you said they they really were the only people who were do, were doing anything about it from from the outside world for a while and now suddenly you know kind of that's in a weird way kind of turning against them I think they they you know the state media might have trying to ride that that kind of soft power pony a little bit too much um you know and and then and then it kind of turned around and bit them a bit well yes and and i'll i'll come at this from the chinese point of view and and this is something that I feel that the criticism in the West towards the Chinese is not entirely fair. And I don't say this in any kind of pro-Chinese stance here, but to compare the United States and China and say, well, you know, the one's giving X, the other's giving Y, uh, is, some, is, is to me kind of a, a false dichotomy in there. And let me kind of g- explain why, because they're coming at it from two very, very different points. And let's go back to, uh, you know, Hurricane uh, Typhoon Haiyan that was, I think, in two, last year or the year before, but in the Philippines. And we did a show on this about Chinese aid in Africa uh, not too long ago. And we talked about the Chinese mindset when it comes to aid. And the instincts and the culture just are not there. It's not the way that they see the world. And that comes in part from the fact that they live in their own 
oftentimes a hellhole of a country. And it's easy to describe China as a hellhole when you look at the, net, the, the volume and the scale of natural disasters, the extent of poverty that still exists there, the extent of corruption and dysfunction that exists throughout the country. Uh, it's, it's a tough place to live. And, and a lot of Chinese in their own public opinion towards the government say, why the hell are you sending millions, tens of millions of dollars to other countries when we here are suffering as much as we are? And so it makes it very difficult for Chinese politicians to be able to deploy these, these, these large aid packages. Now, they got burned after Typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines when their initial response was just a paltry $100,000. Then they upped it to over a million dollars, but then they got criticized that IKEA gave more money to the relief effort than the Chinese government had. So then they, they kind of are starting to get religion to understand that by giving a lot of money, it generates soft power headlines, and it's something that they can take pride in. But I think there's a dichotomy here, and this is what I'd like to get your take on as someone who studies media, that the, the Chinese media narrative was, look at our brave, you know, doctors. And that is a great story, by the way. I mean, these pictures of these medical personnel leaving the airports in Beijing to go, you know, voluntarily, or one would assume voluntarily, into, uh, you know, potential death and confronting potential death in the in the affected zones is brave, and it's a great television story. But it does seem like the narrative got ahead of the politics. Yes, I think so. I think what also counted against them was the 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 way that they handled uh, Ebola with or the, the the danger of Ebola within China, especially around the Nanjing um, youth games. Um, so you know, obviously, there the Nigerian team ended up withdrawing after after their athletes were placed in quarantine. As far as I understand, for no, you know, kind of without any actual displaying symptoms, for just simply for being West African, you know, kind of they were kind of placed in quarantine. Um, and that led to you know this kind of African counter narrative um, of you know of, of you know yes they might send people out but inside you know etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so I think I think the 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 narrative started getting complicated there, and then you know one shouldn't also underestimate the kind of star power of someone like President Obama. You know, um, the moment he you know the moment he makes a big speech, and the moment he especially in this case you know kind of when when that speech carries a big sum of money, um, you know, it, it tends to it it shifts the wind, um, and suddenly suddenly the discourse just just changes, um, and you know, kind of I think it's is this kind of that that maybe might be real actual soft power in, in, in action. Well, it is real soft power, and the United States brings resources that no other country can actually do. Uh, and that's something also to compare to, to, the, uh, to the Chinese. So the big problem here is that when you can make a comparison between China and the U.S., and, and the reason why we're focusing so intently on this is, and let me just give you an example of this. Uh, Bloomberg View, uh, which is the kind of op-ed site of Bloomberg, uh, they had an they had an art, you know, a, a piece by uh, James Gibney, Africa's Ebola Should Be China's Problem. And it was a little bit of an indignant piece here. I personally think he sounded like an asshole, but let's let's kind of let me give you a quote here. Uh, Meanwhile, the paltriness of China's assistance relative to both its commercial presence and to the U.S. also raises a difficult question for American strategists and bean counters, especially in Africa and the Middle East. How do you get China to stop free riding in a way that still protects the prerogatives of an aging hegemon? 
And that that's just aggressive language. And that's what came out of the U.S. a lot was like after Obama came up with the 3,175 million, the 3,000 troops, 175 million package, everybody was like, okay, China, F you, you know, we're back. <laughs> and and I just felt like, whoa, you know, that's that's weird, you know, in that sense, that, that tone I felt was very aggressive in that sense, in part because... Nobody can bring the resources that the United States can bring, not a European power, not a Japanese power, which is in terms of the, the hospital ships, the, the scale of medical technology and, and the people. That, and they did this in Haiti and they've done it all over the world. When the United States deploys its military for good, it can be a very powerful thing. Yes, you know, I mean, um, um, you know, the United States is a superpower, you know, so it's, I, I also I also felt it was a little unfair and it, it, it was a little strange for me, the, the, the stridency of, of the American kind of commentary coming out about this, um, especially considering that the Americans were relatively late, you know, kind of they, if, if they had acted earlier, um, then of course, you know, the, the, the crisis might not have been, the, you know, on the scale that it is now. And now that it is on the scale, it's much harder to contain and much more con- expensive to contain, um, and you know, kind of, I, I think even you know, kind of the, the obviously the difficult thing or the difficult truth is also that even for the size of the American response, it, that might not be big enough. Um, you know, kind of, I mean, Obama, you know, Ebola is terrifying, and it's not only it's not terrifying for all of the not only terrifying for all of the basic reasons, but also um, Benjamin Hale recently um, had a, an article in Slate. Um, where he made the point that the the, the whole the, the really terrifying aspect of Ebola is the fact that it preys on our very human instinct to help people, um, in the sense that you know kind of that, that someone is suffering, you're there, you need to help them. Frequently, it's someone you know, and the very fa- the very act of helping means that you're spreading the disease. You know, um, and that I think is that that makes Ebola potentially such a, a time bomb. Um, and yeah, so so you know kind of. It, it's a bit. It's a bit of a. It strikes a bit of a sour note. All of this American triumphalism, when you know, kind of, they should actually have stepped in once the first five people were sick, rather than once they had like more than two thousand people dead. Well, don't forget that the first impression that a lot of people in West Africa had of the Americans was the evacuation of two American doctors on private jets with, uh, yes. you know, specially outfitted to Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, where they were cured of Ebola. And I think that was a very big slap in the face. At the same time, people now are quite grateful. But let's step back and look at this from the geopolitics of it all. And this is, again, I go back to the, uh, uh, there was an article in Forbes by a, a guy I had never heard of him until the, up until now by uh, Huang Yanzhong, who's a uh, writes about China and global health. And he wrote uh, just an excellent piece. How much can China offer in Africa's Ebola crisis? And one of the key points that he said is that there's no evidence that Chinese leaders actually buy into the fantasy created by the state media. And at the same, and, and there, and again, one of the characteristics of the Chinese leadership is its pragmatism, that they are, they're not altruistic. They are not idealistic. They are just what Henry Kissinger probably would classify as just cold, calculating realists. And I think when they look at the geopolitics of this, 
their exposure is much less than, say, the United States. So let me kind of paint a scenario for the United States. Well, Americans, we love to think of ourselves as altruistic people. You often hear us describe ourselves as the global policemen, like we're doing some noble good in order to kind of make everybody get along and whatnot. And this is a a contribution we're making to the public good as a generous kind of contribution, when in fact, a lot of what we do around the world is designed intently to protect our own interests, to protect our trade routes, to protect our allies. It is a cold, hard politics. I will contend that what Obama did was not for the altruism of it all, the idealism of helping people in need. Um, We have a very, very good, solid pattern of turning a blind eye to people suffering on mass scales. But I think what he's worried about is the consequences of Ebola ravaging these three countries and destroying the existing political structure And what will come in its place is what we're seeing uh, potentially in northern Nigeria with Boko Haram, what we're seeing in power vacuums in in eastern Syria and western Iraq uh, with ISIS. Uh, that's their concern in my view, is they, don't, they, want, they are concerned that in the wake of this disaster, uh, power vacuums will emerge and Boko Haram and other extremist groups will take advantage of it and that will threaten American interests in Africa. That's my, that's my theory behind why they decided to move when they did. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think also, you know, I mean, only recently, like, uh, you know, historically, seconds ago, essentially, um, you know, both Sierra Leone and Liberia were going through civil wars. So, you know, so so their, their kind of current governments, you know, are delicate. They're, they're shaky anyway. Um, this might just, you know, completely change the, the, the power balance in the, the entire um, West Africa. Um, and one has to also remember that, that with you know the fact that that the U.S. and China and other other maritime powers work together to to diminish um, to minimize um, piracy along east the coast of East Africa. After that happened, after Somalia's pirates were essentially kind of you know you know you know kind of that that, that problem was solved, piracy has started popping up um, on the coast of West Africa, um, and West Africa itself is also uh, a bit of a you know certain West African countries are are hotbeds of drug trafficking of, you know, kind of all kinds of organized crime and so on. So all of this, all of these security problems might get exacerbated by, by this kind of wild card that Ebola is, you know, kind of the, the, the kind of um, volatility that it might throw into the, the, into the entire sub-region. And I think, you know, the, it was interesting that Obama also put the, the contribution against Ebola in a, in a security context, context, you know, kind of that he said that, that, that fighting Ebola is a security issue. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I completely agree with you. It, it is in that sense. Now, the Chinese, you know, are not coming to this to to, to this problem uh, without at least a little bit of experience. Now, you have to remember that China, particularly southern China, is one of the most densely populated places on on, on the planet, where you have a, a very lethal mix of people. Uh, high temperatures in animals that live very close together. Again, very similar in many cases to West Africa as well. So China has been struggling with its own uh, infectious disease outbreaks. We had in 2013-2014 the H7N9 avian flu. Uh, There was also H5N1, which is a different strain of avian flu that happened uh, in Southeast Asia and that did affect China as well. And then in 2003 was the SARS outbreak, the famous, famous SARS outbreak, which of course in the Chinese media narrative no one talks about the incompetence at the Chinese displayed in dealing with that and the cover-ups and the uh, just really the blatant idiocy that the Chinese did in that. They seem to have learned in that, but 
this I, that China's public health system is improving, but it's still, again, not anywhere near what the United States can bring to bear on that. But I just want to go to your one point earlier that you made, Cobus, and um, to talk about how how Africans responded negatively to the singling out of Nigerians, Nigerian athletes in China. And, and I'll just give you a little bit of reaction here from Vietnam. Um, there is just panic fear here in the eyes of public health officials that if Ebola lands here, they're not, they can't do anything about it. And I don't say that as a criticism of Vietnam, but this is a very poor country. And I think many developing countries are terrified if this thing jumps the, jumps the continent. And, and they just, they, there's, they, they don't know what to do. They don't have the, the resources to, to deal with this, this. So in some ways, and I think that was the concern in China about being proactive and being preemptive to single out people who potentially could cover it, could carry it, even though it was a form of racial profiling. But in some ways, it just represents a very human fear that this, this thing is scary. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, I've seen this in, you know, people are panicking in the United States that, you know, Ebola is going to arrive. At least in the United States, they have a capability to deal with it. In countries like Vietnam and even China, if that thing lands, they can't do anything. I mean, they're really screwed. Yeah. And then you have to imagine what it's like because yeah, in, in South Africa, because of course you know Nigeria is a car ride away, um, you know. So not only Nigeria, the whole of, of West Africa, obviously. So it, it was this very like <laughs> like moment of of clarity. I recently flew um, from Beijing to Johannesburg, and um, you know, in Beijing, in the airport, I mean, you go through so many heat scanners, yeah. you know, um, and like testing testing fever. Um, and then you land in Johannesburg, not a heat scanner in sight. You well, know? That's, and so you you're know, like, oh, that's this is all great. The, that's you know, like, the, what could go wrong? Yeah, well, that's <laughs> all the consequence of SARS. And when you travel in, yeah. in Asia, uh, whether all throughout Asia, there's heat scanners everywhere. And if you detect a, a you know, emit a, a high temperature, they won't let you on the plane. You, you know, whether yeah. it's just a normal flu or not, they're very, very sensitive to this. And again, this is a part of the world that is densely populated, very, very hot, and very, very close proximity to animals. So diseases are constantly jumping back and forth. That's the H7N9, the H5N1, all these avian flus, pork, uh, you know, foot and mouth disease. It's constantly happening here in this part of the world. But, you know, Ebola is a scary thing. So I have a little bit of understanding of where these countries with limited resources, China included, uh, you know, where they're coming from in that, in that, in that nervousness. Let's look forward here a little bit. So the United States is going to come in and hopefully this will make a difference. Uh, to hopefully contain and help contain this and, and basically isolate the, um, the infected zone so that the disease just kind of runs its course. But uh, it may not. And the economic consequences of Ebola will, will be felt far beyond West Africa, all the way across the continent. We've talked about a million travel uh, reservations have been canceled across the continent. The tourism industry as far away as Tanzania and Kenya uh, is, being, uh, is being affected. Produce uh, being outshipped out of West Africa is being affected. People aren't – the airlines aren't flying anymore to that part of the, uh, of the world. They can't get flight staffs to go there. So now China, this is where – the Chinese can play a very, very important role, obviously with the economic development focus that they have. There's 20,000 Chinese residents in that part of the world. They have not left en masse as far as we can tell. So what's your thought looking forward to how the Chinese, if they are smart, big question mark, could play this now that they've been outdone, at least on the, the diplomatic front? 
I think that that comes back to this the use the Chinese use of people to people diplomacy in a way. You know, it's so through throughout the the history of the 20th century, so frequently they they tended to use personnel as as these kind of uh, you know as as diplomatic actors. In many cases, medical personnel. But I think in this case, it might be a moment where where Chinese migrants, people you know, Chinese people who who migrated to Africa for business reasons. Um, you know, could actually play this kind of role. Um, and as, as you said, you know, many of those people, many of the Chinese um, business owners who, who live in West Africa haven't left. So, you know, so they might, might provide this crucial link in, in kick-starting the economy again once the worst of the crisis has been contained. Um, and then to, to also act as some form of human actor, you know, kind of re, kind of weaving the two, the two uh, areas back together again. That seems like a pretty tall order for Chinese public yeah, diplomacy. Maybe. But I think you're right. You know, the stories of, of, of human bravery and the contributions that the Chinese are making in that area uh, might, might serve them very well. Again, I'm, I'm quite skeptical, but let's see what happens. Uh, I highly recommend everybody check out uh, Huang Yanzhong. His, that, let me spell that for everybody. Uh, first name is Y-A-N-Z-H-O-N-G, last name H-U-A-N-G, on Forbes.com. How much can China offer in Africa's Ebola crisis? Is probably the best piece of commentary that I've seen on the topic. A lot better than a lot of the other American uh, commentary that's been this kind of like "ha ha, we won" kind of mentality. But nonetheless, it's all interesting. It's the diplomacy that's going on right now, um, and we would uh, love to hear what you think. Best place to reach us is over on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash China Africa Project. Uh, almost a quarter of a million people now are on our page, kind of discussing the top headlines every day. Cobus and I are updating this page almost 24 hours a day now. Cobus, it's been a great two weeks now of you and I doing, getting full 24-hour coverage every three hours <laughs> posting articles. Uh, you know, Cobus over in South Africa, I'm here in Asia, so we've got the time zones covered, but it's a great way for you to reach out, share your opinions, discuss, tell us what you think of what's been going on with the Chinese and, uh, and Ebola, and also your thoughts on the, on the U.S. plans as well. Uh, if that's not all, people want to get in touch with you and kind of uh, find out what you're reading and writing these days, what's the best way for them to, to reach you? They can also find me on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And I'm on Twitter as well at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. And if you want to listen to this podcast, you can find us all over. We've got uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Uh, the iTunes, of course, is a great place. Just look for the China Africa Project. And, of course, head over to Chinafile.com, which is the Asia Society's website. All of our podcasts are being hosted there as well. Uh, so it's a good place to catch up on past episodes and, uh, and also stay current with what uh, what we're doing every week. We publish two episodes every week, and we'll be back again soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.